Okay. Excellent. Oh. That was so good. We just missed all of that. I know. That was behavior. gold. <laughs> oh, it was great. Oh, well, people now are going to have become, to guess. Now I become really phony. Oh. Okay. All right. Yes, yes. We're all going to totally clam oh. up. Okay. We got nothing. <laughs> Welcome to Cocktails at Table 7, inside New York's Joe Allen. In May of 1965, Joe Allen began life as a cozy neighborhood bar and restaurant in New York City's Hell's Kitchen. Located just a few blocks from Broadway, Joe's quickly developed a highly loyal clientele of young performers, writers, and creative types. The food was great, the drinks were stiff, and the fabled flop wall celebrating Broadway's most notorious bombs gave the room an added touch of insider charm. Over the decades, Joe Allen grew into a New York institution, and on this podcast, we'll celebrate Joe's history with longtime regulars who know it best. We'll hear from actors, producers, writers, musicians, neighbors, and friends who will share with us just what makes Joe Allen the place to be. So here's to old friends, new friends, and cocktails at table seven. Three, two, one. Merry Festivus. Merry Festivus, indeed. Time for the airing of the grievances. I'll start with uh, technology. Yes, that is our biggest grievance. <laughs> and then I'll pass it along to Sean. What are you grieving? Uh, grieve, grievancing against this? Year? The 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 thing about being like marginally employed, although pleasantly marginally employed, but marginally employed, and yet still having no time to do anything. All right, that's a good one. We like that. Yes, and Dana, your grievance that you'd like to. Uh, present to the what was it the grievance poll or what was it i would like to present new york city landlords oh that's a good one yeah that is a good one and that's for all seasons that's for yes <laughs> and i will second both of yours we can just throw it all on there fantastic this is obviously not our thanksgiving episode this is the <laughs> festivus episode and for festivus we invited a very special guest who did we invite we invited Mr. Lee Wilkoff. That's who we invited. Lee Wilkoff. Lee Wilkoff. Iconic musical theater roles he originated, such as Seymour. Seymour in that little shop of horrors. Little shop, little shop of yes. horrors. You're welcome. And Assassins. Yes. My goodness. And other, I mean, just a, a million other things. And he's just a really fascinating, humble, down earth, apparently friend of his stepmother. <laughs> It you know the worlds collide the worlds collide and you'll hear all about it in the episode, and we're just you know we're glad to go out with for the year with a bang and we're hoping next year will be we've got a few things already lined up yeah, we for do. next year we do so we're not going away we are coming back probably not till February but we're coming back we know that the episodes have been a little fewer and more far between but we're still putting our all into them and we're really, really glad that you're coming along with us and uh, we're keeping this tradition alive. Is there anything exciting happening at Joe Allen now, Jason, just in, in terms of the holiday season? Oh, well, the Christmas decorations are up. So, uh, you know, that's... Wow, that's I early. know, it's usually it's like usually the 21st. It is. <laughs> and uh, well, It's a different no. guy. It's a different guy doing it now, so... Yes, and uh, it's been crazy busy 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 and we're thrilled that it's crazy busy 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 so come on by make a reservation because otherwise oy, 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 oy. happy holidays to one and all happy new year 
And thank you for continuing to listen and support us and give us five star thank ratings. Thank you for that. Thank you, on thank Apple you for that. Podcasts. Uh, we really appreciate you. From all of us at Cocktails at Table Seven, inside New York's Joe Allen, the five star podcast. Here's Lee Wilcoff. We started this about two years ago, mm-hmm. almost to the day. Yeah, with the intention of catching up with our regulars and our friends, mm-hmm. co-workers, regulars, people in the community, because we hadn't seen people in months and months and months. Sure. And uh, was when we were researching, we found an article that you did, an interview you did with Playbill mm-hmm. about that time, about two years ago. And they were also kind of in the same mode of catch up. And so I guess... I mean, you have had an incredibly eventful pandemic period. It was pretty eventful for somebody that didn't get COVID. I say to people, I didn't get COVID, but I got cancer. Oh. So uh, I guess that may be what you're referring to in the article. Well, I, I am. And, and how are you? I am cancer free currently. Wonderful. And hopefully. Congratulations. Forever. Uh, I had throat cancer. Uh, we discovered it. Uh, we don't need to talk about it too much, but I discovered it. I was in Columbus, Ohio, staying with our daughter. We went out there to help her open a business at the beginning of 2020, and then the pandemic hit, and we just decided we'd stay there. And I had a sore throat forever and kept thinking, oh, I have COVID. And then it turned out to be throat cancer. I got uh, radiation. I went through that um, Michigas, and I'm on the other side of it. My voice is not really, truly 100% recovered. I don't sing as well as I used to, but it has improved. So I'm hoping my chords have not as uh, uh, swollen anymore, but I'm cancer-free. Thank you for asking. But it was uh, quite eventful uh, and a surprise, <laughs> quite a surprise. Do do they give you some sort of physical therapy for coming back from that? I mean, you are a singer and has made your life. Uh, there's a um, a woman that I have worked briefly with, Nomi Tickman. I think that's how to pronounce her name. She's given me exercises. There's things you can do, but the, the, the swelling of the cords, you can't do anything about that. That's a natural progression. My doctor told me that's possible that my cords will always be swollen to a certain extent, but I can tell they're not as swollen. My wife can tell you that because for several months she had to wear earplugs because my snoring was so loud because of it, but she doesn't have to wear them anymore. So that means there's been some improvement, but uh, I have not, I, I, I sing again, but I haven't been in a show. I haven't done a show that I have to sing eight times a week. I'm not positive I could sustain that. I don't know, but maybe we'll find out sometime in the future. Well, I, we're very, very happy to hear you're on the other side of it. You, you, you look great. You look just like you. Thank you. I feel great. I was going to say, uh, Dana, if you could tell us how how you met. It's very funny that we have connections outside of the theater world. Um, my family moved to the same area in New York State, and they've all become friends. Mm-hmm. And we actually were at a we were at a potluck dinner together uh, just a few weeks ago in beautiful uh, in Gardner, New York. It's gorgeous up there. We moved up there in um, 
up here. I'm here. And we left we left New York, um, moved up here, oh, Brooklyn, actually. Uh, I've lived in New York. I moved in 73 next year. It would have been 50 years uh, with some stops along the way in Los Angeles. But uh, most of the time, I'm a New Yorker, and we just decided it was time to uh, not live in a tiny apartment anymore, and we figured out a way to move up to Gardner, and we knew people up here, a whole community of midwives and their spouses, and um, Dana's uh, stepmother is a midwife who is a partner of somebody that we knew that moved up here. That's how we knew about Gardner, so we moved up here. So that's how we actually personally met was through the yes. family stuff. Yeah, worlds colliding. <laughs> No, it's great. I, it's 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 the it's the way we get people to talk to. <laughs> we, we we go through very unusual booking routes. I was I was wondering today when when did Joe Allen open? Nineteen sixty-five. Uh -huh. Okay, sixty-five. Yep. Before your episode, we'll we'll slap that information on. We have a little song that we play at the start, <laughs> oh, cool. and it'll all, of course there's we a do. lot of there's a lot of background in the song. Uh, so to find out all this information, I definitely will you listen have to, to listen. the podcast. Listen to our song. <laughs> Subscribe and leave a five-star review. So when you moved in 1973, did you come specifically to New York? Did you have a job lined up or was is it just kind of an expedition? No. I had uh, gone to um, uh, University of Cincinnati, not CCM, although one time uh, I was in the theater department. I wandered into the theater department at the end of my sophomore year. I did not know what I was going to do. We had a, I'm from Canton, Ohio, we had a family business there, iron and steel. My mother irons, my father steals. Always have to throw that in. Okay, so I was thinking possibly that was certainly a backup. But from the time I was a kid, I would sometimes tell people I was from Brooklyn, New York. I don't know why, maybe watching maybe the Bowery Boys or something or some. Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to live in New York. I, it was, I was just drawn to it. And we visited a few times when I was like 12 and 15. Something about it drew me to it. And I did a little acting at the Jewish Community Center uh, when I was like in my teens. I did not do any high school acting. I was kind of didn't do anything. And I went to Cincinnati, UC, wandered into the theater department at the end of my sophomore year. And the hook went in, and I mm -hmm. found my family, mm. and uh, across the way was CCM, and I saw the excitement over there and musical theater, and I knew I could sing a little. I I actually did a show over on the other side with Tom Viola and uh, a, a three penny opera. There was a professor at UC uh, in the theater department. He was leaving, and he said. I will take you under my wing if you come to town. And I did, and he did, and I didn't have a clue when I got to town. Thank God he was there to kind of give me a little guidance. And the ball started to roll a little. But after the first year, I kind of panicked. Not much was going on, and I did some, I did uh, a summer stock. I apprenticed back in Ohio at Canal Fulton Summer Theater. Um, the stars used to come in. Giselle McKenzie, I did uh, a show with her. Um, uh, Harv Presnell. We would build the sets in the morning, the, the apprentices. We would take the set down for rehearsal, rehearse, put the set back up, 
be in the show after the show, take the set down. It was just crazy. And do they uh, not have a rehearsal space? No, no, <laughs> no. We were indentured service servants with the promise of our equity cards, which was a lie. Uh, and oh. um, say after one one season, that's a big promise. It's a pretty big promise. Yeah, it was. It was. I was really disappointed, but I finally got my card, moved back to town, did uh, a show called The Present Tense that was mm-hmm. produced by Roger Ailes, of all people. Wow. And it was a review. Uh, it was sketches that we kind of improvised. And uh, Jeff Sweet, you know who Jeff is? Jeff Sweet, he's a playwright. He t- turned them into scenes and various various composers wrote songs among them. Alan Menken. I met Alan long before I did Little Shop. He wrote a song, something called, I think, White Fish on a Bagel, <laughs> something like that, believe it or not. I didn't sing it. I didn't. I was the Jewish guy in the show, and I didn't sing that song, but anyhow. <laughs> uh, and Norman Lear came to see the show, and he liked me in the show and brought me out to California. And I eventually, that didn't work out, but I moved to California. And went back and forth for 15 years. I mean, really, my hmm. my base was Los Angeles. But while I was in L.A., I got Little Shop. I knew the casting director. And I flew back and got Little Shop. And L.A. didn't really work out the way I had hoped. And we came back to New York in the early 90s. My wife and I, who I met on Little Shop. She was Howard's assistant, Howard Ashman's assistant. And uh, did I answer a question? Anyhow, yeah. I'm giving you a lot of history. There's, yeah. No, no I, you gave us, you actually answered about three we were going to yes. But so. um, in 92, we moved back. And I mean, I came back to do Little Shop in 82. But in 92, I really moved back east. That's where we've been ever since. The ball really started rolling. Not, not with Little Shop, but when I moved back in 92, I did... Uh, Shop around the corner. Oh, oh my God, I can't remember the name of the. She music. loves me. She loves me, and that mm-hmm. really—that's when I really started to work to work pretty pretty regularly for mm-hmm. the next I don't know, twenty twenty five years. See, that's interesting because Assassins was before that, correct? Yeah, yeah I was living in L.A. Yeah. Came out to do it. Went back to L.A. I was chasing something in L.A. I was chasing mm. that sitcom that I thought that was going to be it for me. Whenever I do a sitcom, it was a not catastrophe in my mind. It was I need time. A sitcom, if you don't hit the laugh the second day, you're you're in trouble. Yeah. And it was just not for me. And L.A. was very elusive for me. For a couple of years, mm. I played. I said to somebody, "I'm doing a I'm doing a short film this week, uh, Thursday and Friday." And they asked me if I could wear. Would I wear a uh, a bow tie. I said, for 10 years in LA, all I did was play nerds that wore bow ties. <laughs> so you don't have to worry about me tying a bow tie because I know how to do it. <laughs> and that was what I did in LA. A lot of nerds. I'd come in a room and drop something. And that was not particularly satisfying. When I did Assassins with all those amazing people who I didn't really know because I was in LA, Victor Garber, Jonathan Hadari, Debbie Monk, Eddie Corbett, forgive me, everybody, if I don't mention your name, but that was like, I have to be around these people. Mm -hmm. I don't, the community in LA is very 
disparate and you're and at the same time you're living above the store because everybody's out there shooting for this like stardom it was I'm, I'm not embarrassed by it but i was i was i was heading in the wrong direction mm-hmm. and i looked at when i did assassins i went it's about the work and it, i mean yeah i got to work with stephen sondheim that that i mean that was the pinnacle for me nothing like that i've never experienced anything like that not dismissing howard ashman and alan menken little shop but assassins to me was and it always it still is it's the pinnacle of the people in it best dressing room i've ever (laughs) been in and to me you got a good (laughs) dressing room doesn't matter if the show's not quite as good but the dress it's about for me it's always been about the family i have a question about assassins if i may sure you played Sam Bick in that, and Sam Bick is like yes. the one character who doesn't have a song. Did he ever have a song? Never. No. No. Just that uh, they thought I felt bad about it. I mean, that everybody had songs, and and Stephen Sondheim said to me, "You, you, those monologues are songs. They just aren't. They just not oh, yeah. songs." Mm-hmm. And then I did have. I was featured in. Uh, Another national national yes. anthem. Where's my prize? The, I mean, and, uh, got the little picture here for you. Dana was there. Our listeners, our listeners know I bring out all of my programs and pictures and things that I have. From um, this is from the Assassin CD little booklet. There's a bunch of pictures of you. Yeah, right I haven't here. seen that in a long time. But <laughs> I did not. There was not a song that was like cut. No, there was never a song. Sam Bick was a guy that did do these monologues that he sent to celebrities. So they recreated those John Weidman. And believe me, that was plenty for me. <laughs> we came back to do the album a couple weeks or maybe even a month after we closed. I was living in LA, flew back. The first number up was uh, another, another national anthem. It was the first number that we were doing with an orchestra. When we did the show, it was, I think, four pieces. And we had an orchestra, which was beautiful and magnificent, but unsettling because we had not ever worked with an orchestra. And the number comes up and I'm having trouble. I'm tight. First number up. I'm tired. I'd flown in from L.A. and I couldn't do the one. uh, Listen, listen. I couldn't. I couldn't. They weren't getting what they wanted from me. And Stephen Sondheim had broken his ankle. He was not in the room with us. He was in the in the room where they do the, you know, the turn mm-hmm. the knobs and stuff. And he had Jerry Zachs where somebody said, try to do it, try to sound like Jack Nicholson. So I went, listen, listen, which doesn't sound like Jack Nicholson, but it was close enough and they were very happy with it. So I go in the record. I go in the room where Steve was because he couldn't come out to us, and I kind of wanted his blessing. And he said, "It's tough for you guys that aren't singers." Mm. <laughs> 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 Went in the bathroom, cried, oh. but it sounds pretty good on the album, so I feel okay. <laughs> and if several years later I did, I have to say this: I I, I don't really need to. I did the frogs. There was there was a production of the frogs and I did the workshop, which ultimately I didn't do it. Chris Catan, they cast. 
but I had a number and Steve was at it. He didn't work on it with us. And he came up to me and he said, Lee, you can really sing. So I felt pretty good to get that yeah. from him. But you should have uh, thrown like a little shop CD at him. <laughs> I wanted to say, yeah, I a little shop. Yeah, right. That's not what you say to him. Anyhow, that was that was it. Assassins was that's the one that I went. I can't. I got. I had. I had worked at Williamstown the previous summer, and then I did Assassins a few months later, and I went. I, I got to get out of L.A. This is not the world for me. I, I am. I didn't say this to myself, but. I am a man of the theater. <laughs> I mean, really, the theater is, it's what I love. I love it. And I, I love to work on films and TV, but it's just the process. I need time. I need help. And it doesn't work that way. And, 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 and the community is, we talk about community a lot. The community is different. It's a total different vibe mm-hmm. of collaboration that you don't get, I think, working on a film <clears throat> or you know, a set of, in my limited experience, there was not that same feeling yeah. at all. And people say to me, how do you like living in Gardner? And I love it. I love the tranquility. I love the nature. I miss being in New York. And not that I sit around with people and kibitz around about theater and about place and stuff. I do miss my community being up here, but I get my fix. I come in and do I have lunch with somebody and I, that's enough. But I love the dressing room and the people that I've worked with. It's been extraordinary, the people that I've met and worked with. It's just been amazing. And it always, always is. Once in a while, there's a schmuck in the show, but generally (laughs) not. It's a business of really good people, generally, really, mostly. I'm really fortunate to have been in it all these years. Yeah, it's I, there's something that the community building. You mentioned uh, Williamstown. How how many seasons have you done at Williamstown? Like, what's your history with Williamstown? Uh, Williamstown. Uh, I was living in L.A. and a George Went, who I knew out in L.A. just casually, was asked to do Forum. A funny thing happened on the way to the Forum at Williamstown, and. The story I got was Marty Short was going to play Hysterium and he couldn't do it. And George recommended me to the director who lived in L.A., Peter Hunt. And I met him and I went out there. And then they asked me to do another show the same season, Marat Saad. And my stage manager, both, both shows, was Michael Ritchie, who was the stage manager who ultimately ran. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. we became very close and he brought me back. Within a few years, he was running the place. I did four seasons, capped off by my, actually my first show was Michael's first show there. Uh, He was the stage manager. And my final show there was the Cherry Orchard, which was a wonderful production with Reed Burney and Linda Eamond and Mm. Michelle Williams and um, just an amazing cast. And that was Michael's last show. But it was four brilliant, wonderful years. Talk about being among a community and mm-hmm. it's beautiful up there and everybody's there for the same reason. It's a lot of partying, <laughs> and, uh, but a lot of good work. I was, I did some really wonderful, I had some really wonderful experience being in Williamstown. That was before assassins. I went, what the hell is going on here? I've missed all this. Well, I was in mm-hmm. LA all those years and I mm-hmm. missed this. Everybody knew everybody. I didn't know anybody. 
now I know a lot of those people because you know a few that, people. So <laughs> I knew a few. I knew a just few. a few. Well, we have obviously we have to ask about. little shop we couldn't you know interview what you is without, that without that well sean it's this show <laughs> yeah what is that <laughs> it's not i'm playing shop. the role of steven sondheim what is <laughs> that all right i heard of it little shop okay yeah i was reading the um there was an article in the times about the 40th anniversary but i didn't know that you met your wife connie on the show i didn't know that's how you guys met which i mean talk about you're doing this really interest was that that no, was sort of that was really a new a new idea really the unique the fact yeah i grew up i grew up in uh in canton ohio but the affiliate the cbs affiliate was uh in cleveland and every friday night there was after the late news which i think was at 10 10 o'clock there was a guy named goulardi and he you know everybody has their they grow up in a town and they have these hosts of either kids shows in the day this one was Friday nights. He'd show horror movies. His name was uh, Ernie Anderson. Actually, he's the father of Paul Thomas Anderson, the film director. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you see Paul Thomas Anderson's films, Goulardi Productions. Us teenage boys would get together and watch horror movies, do a sleepover, stay up all night, drive our parents crazy. <laughs> and about three or four times a year, they'd show this really crazy freaking movie called Little Shop of Horrors, the original film. And we loved it. I didn't know anybody that watched Goulardi that wasn't excited when he showed Little Shop. He knew it was special. We knew it was special. So I knew about it. And then Goulardi left. I didn't see it for years. I'm in LA. I get a call from Darlene Kaplan, who I had uh, met years before. There's a musical called Little Shop of Horrors. She was the casting director for the WPA. There's a musical called Little Shop of Horrors. I went, what? They've turned that crazy freaking movie into a musical? That is fantastic. And then I read it. They sent the whole script. Now you get sides. I think yeah. they may have sent the music. And I flew myself in to read for the role of the dentist weirdly and while in la this is how desperate and how when i was trying to change who i was i'd been bald since i was like in my 20s i bought a toupee oh and i tried to get work with hair well it never worked but i go well this dentist is kind of a sexy guy i'll wear my toupee i go in the room in the zoo audition there's howard allen this beautiful young woman and uh, Alan starts giggling because he knows me. He knows I'm bald. And I remove my toupee. And Howard goes, you're not a dentist. Go out in the hall and look at Seymour. I read. They thank me. Uh, Darlene calls me, Darlene Kaplan. Uh, they'd like to see you tomorrow. And I promise you, I, and I said this, who is that woman at the table? I said, Howard's assistant. Her name's Tommy. Okay. So I went in, I read with face prints, uh, it went pretty good. I don't think I was like made an offer that day. I went back to LA within a short period of time, I got the offer. I didn't know this at the time, but it was between myself, the role of Seymour, myself and Nathan Lane. Mm -hmm. And Connie 
uh, Grandpa, Howard's assistant, she thought that I would work out better at Seymour. Just Nathan didn't have the quality that she thought worked, and Howard cast me. That's why he cast me. So I decided I would marry her. <laughs> but we had a little secret, you know. I, 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 I Oh, I'll back up. Okay, we go into rehearsal. It was not an easy rehearsal. It was, we're creating a new musical, and there's a lot of personalities, and I had not done musicals, and I kind of was fading, and I needed help, and there wasn't a lot of time to help me, and I was in trouble. It was probably a week before tech. I knew I was in trouble, and they were concerned that I heard in hindsight. I decided I would call Connie, who I was like trying to flirt with, and she had absolutely no interest <laughs> with me, in me. She was <laughs> there for the work. Well, unbeknownst to me, Howard, that very day that I called her, said, I don't really have time. Could you work with Lee? It was this confluence. And literally, I called mm. her at home. She said, well, starting tomorrow. And about within about three or four or five days, she was so good. And I, you know, had it. I had kind of an idea what to do, but I was just so intimidated by being in a big, not a big musical. It wasn't big at the time, just being in a musical. And, and there was a lot of, as I said, personalities, which made it difficult for me. And um, Connie got me up to speed and, and it worked out. And we were started to see each other. And next year, well, I, we've been married 38 years. I met her on the show, so that was, you know, the best, uh, the most important thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The job. You said you read with uh, Faith Prince. Was she there auditioning, or was she like the no, reader? She was, no, she was there. I, I know this is in a book that just came out. Faith was cast. Faith had okay. Faith had a industrial that she could not get out of in Florida, and. I'm not saying anything out of school. She was their first choice. And Ellen got cast and uh, Ellen Green. And uh, and then I have uh, faith when Ellen went to London, when Ellen, when we went to LA after doing it at the Orpheum for six months, mm-hmm. Faith replaced Ellen in New York. Then Ellen went to London mm-hmm. to do it. Faith came out and I finally did it with her in LA because Ellen left in the middle of the run in LA. I think things worked worked out well for Faith. <laughs> it worked yeah. out. They got they got good people. They got good yeah. people, and it was um, I mean it was huge. So it was I had done a musical. Had I done anything before then in New York a musical? No. So that's you know I'm a musical guy all of a sudden, and uh, we're really lucky to get that role and meet Connie, but it's a beautiful score and ultimately it's been a big part of my life. I've played Mushnick now a few times. I played Mushnick in Florida in that production that came to Broadway, which I did not end up doing. And I got to do Mushnick at the Kennedy Center, which was just superb mm. just to be able to do that there. But you never you never got to no, do the I dentist. never did the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> No, nobody ever thought, considered that. That was just a weird anomaly because I don't know what the hell 
Darlene was thinking. I have a little bit of range, but not. As I mentioned, a book has just come out. Mm -hmm. It's a history of Little Shop from the movie all the way till now. Mm -hmm. And we were scheduled. Uh, I did, Connie was interviewed for it. I was interviewed for it. Oh, a lot of, uh, most of us probably from the original production and subsequent productions were interviewed. And uh, what was scheduled was a Q&A because it was the 21st day of the month of September. So <laughs> we were going to do a, the, a talk back to introduce the book between shows at the West Side Arts Theater. And I was on a bus from New Paltz, taking the bus in to do the event. And I'm a half hour from the city. And I get a call from the writer of the book. Um, a stagehand had hurt himself, not COVID. He had hurt himself. They didn't have a replacement. They've canceled the show. They've canceled the talk back. Oh. However, it, it actually ended up great because uh, several people from the original production who I haven't seen in years came to see the talk back. We went across the street to the West Way and had coffee and, you know, ate for two hours. It was seeing these people. It was just, again, another family that was a really a very yeah. crazy, dysfunctional, great family. <laughs> I mean, we it, sadly, some people are gone, Ron Taylor, and, mm -hmm. um, and Ellen didn't come in for the event, but I saw Frank Luz, who was the original dentist. I hadn't seen him in years, and it was great. It was really great. I mean, Little Shop is... It's an institution. It's a piece, yeah, I see, it's a piece of history. Yeah, it is, and it's still running, and I don't think there's an end in sight for it. And they wisely didn't try Broadway again because it just doesn't work. Connie actually directed it at the Muni. Are you familiar, you're familiar with the Muni, mm -hmm. I believe. Yes. And the plant was like, you know, this big. You can't do it. You can't. You got to do it in a little. I mean, I thought what you call uh, the best the best production that I feel I was involved with was at the WPA that sat sat 99 people. Mm -hmm. Then we moved to the Orpheum. It's still a smaller house than a Broadway house. But the smaller the theater, which the West Side Arts is pretty small, that's why it works so well, because it's about scale. The plant needs to look mm -hmm. huge, like it's going to eat people. So anyhow. And it needs to um, invade the audience, which you don't get yes. that if you're on a Broadway yeah. stage. Yeah. I was going to say, when you sit there, when you sit there to watch it, do, do all the lines and lyrics run through your head like is it still in you like that it's in me and nothing yeah. not i don't remember anything much anymore <laughs> i do i mean but my that. memory is gone <laughs> that's in me that is in my yeah. dna i did it i think i've done some shows maybe longer but i did a lot i've done uh, maybe not if you add up all the productions i don't know i don't count well, but there's something about creating the role right. too that gives you a different attachment mm -hmm. to it, when, don't you think? Than something yes. that you go into that you're fitting the mold that someone else already created. Yes, I've done that yeah. before. I was uh, dropped into or parachuted into Wicked. I don't mm -hmm. remember anything. I had five. <laughs> I had a week of rehearsal, and when I went into waitress, I had four days. Although they had, to, oh my they had to add two because I wasn't quite ready. Mm. <laughs> well, that's not a small, those are not, neither one of those are small parts either. There's stuff to learn there. Well, somebody told me and they were right. The wizard is 19 minutes on stage. 
And that's a long play. That's a long musical. The, the waitress yeah. is actually more, I think there's more time, but I love doing that. I love doing waitress. I got to do it with Sarah Bareilles. Oh, wow. Very mm. special. One of the shows that I did see you in was Kiss Me Kate. I have my, from 1999. Dun, dun, dun. Actually, I had to tell uh, Dad, I was like, you know, we saw Lee in Kiss Me Kate. He was like, we did? <laughs> that one was so, very special. I mean, that's that's a, I mean, you and I had spoken about, you know, your love of musical comedy. And then Kiss Me Kate playing the the, the gangsters getting to do Brush Up Your Shakespeare. I mean, that's like the ultimate. I love musical comedy. Comedy. I think I told you that. Mm-hmm. I like them when they're funny. Yeah. But I don't, I'm not a musical comedy. I didn't grow up in a family. And we didn't listen to musicals. If I had to choose, I think I'd rather do a play than a musical. But musicals, I, 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 when I'm in them, I love them. But it's not my first love. I got an audition for Kiss Me, Kate. They did not give out the script. I was not familiar with it. I was going in and people said to me, what are you reading for? I said, one of the gangsters, man number one. They said, you, you, you really? Because I had no idea I had sides. They didn't, they said, <laughs> you can't believe what a great part this is. And I couldn't tell. And I read and I am so blessed that I got in it. And I got to work with Michael Blakemore, who literally handed me the performance. Everything I did is what he told me to do. I mean, I, working with him was unbelievable. He just directed it so specifically. I may have done something right, but he, I'd say 99% <laughs> anyhow. And they said, wait till you read it. And then I finally got it and I saw the script for the first time. And then I was familiar with Brush Up Your Shakespeare, the number, but I didn't really understand the nuance of it. And Kathy Marshall, Kathleen Marshall, uh, she, I met her, her brother, Robbie Marshall, uh, stage uh, choreographed She Loves Me. And he, she assisted him. So I had known her a long time. Uh, that was like in the 90s and it was 10 years later. And I think I had even maybe done something with her. She knew that Lee Wilcoff is not a fine dancer, but that he can move if, you know, I can do some moves. Mm-hmm. So she choreographed it. I don't know if Michael Marheron is a great dancer, but I'd never seen him dance, but she knew what we could do. And she choreographed it in a way that I could do it. And because if it would have been too complicated and that number, that number is such a, that is such a brilliant number. And then to get to do it and then cat, and then the, uh, the, uh, you, you think they think it's over and you could keep coming mm-hmm. back. Yeah. People going crazy. <laughs> and to get that kind of laughter, you don't get that too often in his career. And you were nominated for a Tony Award for that. Yes, yes. So, I, I mean, to have that kind of fun and and get that recognition, that's pretty that's cool. That's a nice thing. For a month, they treat you nicely. You get food. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, it's fun. I haven't been ambivalent about uh, competing against people. It's not really, you know, it's not a competitive sport, what we do. Right. But it's a nice thing. 
hand. I'm very proud of that. And Michael Mulherin and I were, it was a really nice pairing. They yes. cast it well. Yes. He's yeah. such a galoot. And I was <laughs> thinner and I was, I'm short. And it was really fun. It was really fun. That's another part that is, do you even have 19 minutes on stage as, as one of the characters? You have short, brief scenes. And the 19-minute song, the Jason. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they get to know you. You get, you get your... That's yeah. right. The song's 22 minutes yeah. long. I think the song, does it have two encores or three? Yeah, like six verses. Do, do you have a favorite, uh, a favorite couplet or a favorite turn of lyric in that song? Uh, I'd have to think about it, but I do. I do. If you're going to that Washington, I, think, I, forget, I, I can't remember, but the, whatever's the dirtiest is the one I like. If she says your behavior is heinous, kick her right in the correlatus. So, it's such a dirty song. And there's the that's, one that's about, oh, better yeah, mention the merchants of Venice when her sweet pound of flesh you would menace. <laughs> yeah. What a sweet you would menace. menace. You would menace. <laughs> sweet pound of flesh you would menace. Oh, oh thank goodness for Kathy Marshall. She, I, I, I had, I had a crush on her, and then we did. She choreographed that number; and it quadrupled. I really have such fondness for her and her brother. They're beautiful people. You have such deep roots in the city, such deep roots in the theater community. You've, do you remember your first time coming to Joe Allen? No, I don't. I don't remember the first time. And I, I mean, with specificity, but I do remember when I did come and I don't remember who it was with. And it was more, it was likely, I remember sometimes that I've been there, but not the first time, but it was likely uh, after a show or between shows. It wasn't like coming into the city. I was talking with Chip Zion today and uh, when I did go to shows before I went to Joe Allen's, I used to go to a place occasionally. I'm not really a, I'm not like a drinker. I, 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 I drink, I don't drink alcohol. I drink beer. I mean, that's alcohol, but I don't drink booze. I drink beer occasionally. So it's not like I was a person that had to have a drink after the show. But when I first started going to shows in New York a long time ago, some reason I would end up at a place called Jimmy Ray's. Yes. We've been told about it by, yeah. from a lot of... Uh, of our it parents. was yeah. dark and scary, kind of, and I liked it because there were theater people there, and uh, it was kind of how I imagined kind of things were in the 50s or the 40s. And But Joe Allen uh, coming there, but I remember it being just... Uh, the ambiance of the place is so different, and I felt like when I came in, I do remember feeling like I'm in this special place. I knew it was special and I kind of made it. I'm in Joe Allen. Somebody's brought me to this, this, this expansive place. And it has a certainly different ambiance than uh, Jimmy Ray's or occasionally I'd go to Barrymore's. And uh, it was very, in hindsight, very moving for me. But I remember going there with groups of people uh, after show with Nathan Lane. Maybe Nathan brought me for the first time. Can we, of course, get a good table? Uh, and um, and I, I, I think I told Dana, 
I know I've had at least 200 La Scala salads. <laughs> at least. That is a very popular choice. Well, I think it's the only thing I get. I, I think, and I'm not a salad guy, but I love it so much. And now it's well, just, is it is it really a salad? Well, it's not really. <laughs> but I have to have it because it's the only place in the world they have it. And um, I always felt really comfortable. I like to sit in the way back of the main room, the way back. And um, but I haven't been there. Well, I haven't been there in a while because of the pandemic, and I haven't been in town. Right. But I miss it. And we're coming into town. We're going to go there soon. Um, and um, I did not meet Joe Allen until. I met him upstairs at uh, I started going there actually quite often to uh, bars and trolley and Mary, uh, I don't know how we became kind of like friendly. Somebody must, somebody of note must have introduced me, but we, we had a nice relationship and she was always, she always found a place for me to sit or I'd call her. I'd say, Mary, it's Lee. I'm coming after a show. She'd say, you're okay. You're good. And then I don't, I don't, I told this to Dana. I don't know if she told you. I shot, uh, I directed a film uh, called No Pay Nudity, uh, which is about, most of it takes place at the, at the Equity Lounge, but it's about actors, Gabriel Byrne and amazing cast. Nathan, Donna Murphy, yeah. Boyd, Francis Conroy. Conroy. Um, Jay Smith. Who'd you say? Jay Smith Cameron. Jay Smith Cameron. Just a great cast. And Mary let me use, and with Joe's permission, Barson Trolley. I just had to pay, like the, 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 the man that does the kind of janitorial work to set things up. I mean, that was so freaking generous. It was just like amazing. And Joe didn't really know who I was. She had to get his permission, but between the two of them, like amazing. We were there all day. We had to be out by like four because of business it's very special for me and uh dana sent me the list i mean i've looked at every poster of all the posters weirdly i've only seen one show of of, of all the uh flops the dance of the vampires ah. we went to opening night and it deserves a place on the wall mm-hmm. and <laughs> I, I have, i'm actually disappointed well the show that I wish I would have seen uh, that's on the wall is Via Galactica. I would have loved to have seen that. That was supposed to have mm. been insane. That was like an acid oh, show. Sure. You didn't need to be on acid. And that apparently was yeah. wasn't <laughs> the worst. Of them. What were you going to say? Apparently they, 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 they put in trampolines on yeah. the floor mm-hmm. to simulate floating in space and everybody bounced around. My disappointment is, but it's, but, but it's already up there, uh, is Breakfast at Tiffany's because I did the, the recent Breakfast at Tiffany's, which was a, which was a large flop. But um, you already... It's right next to the other one. That's there too. It is? It's on there. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm so happy to be on the yeah, You can sit there. underneath it next time you come in. I will. <laughs> I, I think maybe the original one with Mary Tyler Moore closed. Before maybe. it opened. 
It closed before. Ours, I think we ran previous. 12 weeks, but uh, I was, uh, for some reason, I would go to the Broadway chat and I'd go and see what people were saying about Breakfast at Tiffany's. And it was unbelievable how mean people were. And I took an alias and I, I spoke not, not, not to defend the show because the show did not deserve good reviews. It was not good, but I did start saying to people on the, the, the chat, you know, people work hard, even if it's not that good, people work hard and you don't need to talk that way about them. And the shit people would say to me, I think I, I think I called myself Cheese Man. They go, listen, Cheesy, who the hell do you think you are? What have you done? Well, I didn't want to say, uh, as a matter of fact, this is what I've done. I did not want to give up my anonymity. But, uh, man, scathing, absolutely horrifying. Because that's a badge of honor. I think this is important. I think it's as big a it is, yes. as a Tony nomination. And I'll say that. And it lasts longer. Yes, it does. Because nobody gives a yes. shit anymore <laughs> about the Tony nomination. But they go into <laughs> Joe Allen and they see that up there and they go, wow. <laughs> That's my. Exactly. <laughs> You hit you hit the purpose. The, of inter- it the internet right was there. invented so people could completely trash shows and previews. Yeah, and that that's what it's there for. Yeah, there's also some sort of you know there's for some reason in the theater people think it's fun or inventive or witty mm-hmm. to trash eviscerate things. things. I always yeah. wonder are in they such a way... They are. They I, I think bitter, I, 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 if I may share this theory. I think it's mostly failed performers because, you know, if you don't get into the club and you can't work and you don't work, you're not getting in. And I think those people, they, they, they fester in their fury and rage. And some people take it out on those sites. Other people do podcasts, but some people do like, you know, some people choose to go a positive route with the energy and some people choose to go a very destructive route root with the energy well, i think that's probably that's that's a lot it. what my my the film that i directed is about as i said it i i used to i lived in brooklyn and i used to occasionally if i had to relieve myself or use the pay phone i would go to the equity lounge and there was a period where i hadn't been there for about 15 years 10 15 years and i went in one day and it was the same people i'd seen 10 years before woman with a pup, a dog, and they were all sitting together. And I went, there might be a movie here. I watched it. It was very, I was like, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, that's right. I mean, <laughs> about the equity lounge and just, it was, it was also fun because uh, since it's been, since you it. filmed it, they've changed the process. So it was fun to see the clipboards up and the, you know, all of those Thank things, you. but it was a really, I, I enjoyed the movie. And I mean, you had me crying right at the beginning of it i was with the dog and the oh that was i was like oh god am i gonna cry through this whole thing thank you but no it it, i didn't they were it was really lovely a lot of the lounge when we started shooting the movie we we uh we couldn't use the lounge i had gotten permission and if Uh, we would have started earlier we would have used the lounge but that was in the in 
That was in the transition before they became. Now they're the audition center. We built that space downtown, but you say it looks like it. So that's, yeah. well, that's, that's, that's a tribute. To well, it looks my, exactly like it. Um, art, uh, art director, because she recreated the lounge from photos and it looks like the lounge, but it's not. It, I'm really glad I did it. And it was all about the people that I love the most, actors. I know there was one thing uh, Sean wanted to ask you about, and, that, and he's too shy to ask, so I will. <laughs> You're probably best known for Disco Beaver oh, from yes, Outer Space. <laughs> Disco Beaver from Outer did you, Space. Did you just see it on the uh, uh, list of something? or Did you ever see it? No, I never saw Disco it. Disco Beaver was the, I believe, mm-hmm. the first comedy special on HBO, oh, right, yeah. right with HBO. And mm-hmm. I had been involved, I had mentioned the present tense, the thing that Roger Ailes directed. In yep. the midst of that, we did a production, then we stopped and we were gonna become an off-Broadway production. And it just took forever. And I auditioned for the National Lampoon Show, at, which was a touring show. And I think I auditioned to uh, replace Meatloaf who was in the show and I got cast and I went to Roger Ailes. I said, I'm leaving the present tense. And he said, I'm going to get this together. Don't do it. Anyhow, I became friendly with the people at National Lampoon and I started doing some little things in the magazine. They had these things called photo funnies and I did some of those and I did uh, a series that they did, uh, it was the spinoff of Animal House uh, mm-hmm. called Delta the House. Delta House. Uh, I played a character named Einswine. Actually, after about two <laughs> episodes, the network came to me and they went, tone it down. Play a human being. <laughs> I kind of wore my pants up here and I talked like this. And I was 27. <laughs> I was saying an 18-year-old. It was so grotesque. Anyhow, they knew me. Maddie Simmons, <laughs> who ran the National Lampoon, was doing a... HBO special, Disco Beaver from Outer Space, and asked me to do it. It was a bunch of sketches, but it based around a beaver, a big guy in a beaver suit comes down from outer space, and we do sketches kind of interspersed with that. I'm surprised HBO <laughs> is still on the air, because it was that bad. <laughs> and then one, one little sketch, I played Senior Wences. Uh, he had that little box... I did some ventriloquism as a kid, so they had, and um, my character, you know, that he's a puppet, he talks like this. He, his hand went down and <laughs> masturbated. Oh, Jesus. Senior <laughs> went sued either National Lampoon or HBO for a million dollars no. because of wow. my shenanigans. <laughs> it wasn't me personally. They wrote it. Oh, 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 it's worth watching. But uh, uh, Lynn Redgrave was in it. And uh, let me, I can't remember who else, but it was uh, truly, it was, the title is odd. It was just as odd. It was, you must have just seen it on a list somewhere. Mm-hmm. What the hell was that? Pretty much. And that was, uh, that was, that was special. We were speculating that it might have been something like that. Um, you know, the early days of HBO, 
That's exactly right. And really, it was beyond, beyond the, it was so esoteric. And uh, anyhow, that was, I forgot about that. Well, we always like to, we have our, uh, our Mm -hmm. Joe Allen questionnaire that we like to do at the end of our interviews, a la like the actor's studio questionnaire. So, you know, just whatever the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. A few questions, seven questions. Oh, fun. Yes. So, uh, Jason, you want to start? You may have already answered this one, but what is your drink at Joe Allen or Bar Centrale? Iced tea with a lot of ice. With a lot of ice. It's important. A lot of ice. No straw. (laughs) (laughs) What profession other than your own would you most like to attempt? Well, it's a little too late, but I would have liked to have been a physician if I wasn't um, uh, an actor. And specifically uh, like a a, a juvenile or child oncologist, sadly. But that was, I mean, I have deep attachment now to oncologists because of my cancer and the tragedy of children. I played mm. a lot of doctors. What live performance that you've seen floored you the most? Um, Moon for the Misbegotten. Uh, it, I cannot, I, I cannot tell you the year, but uh, it was uh, Jason Robards, Colleen Dewhurst, Ed Flanders. That one I couldn't get out of my seat. Mm. I didn't know the show. I was not familiar. I should be ashamed of myself, but it was with Eugene O'Neill's work. And I went to it. Somebody gave me tickets, and I was devastated by the by it. I mean, look, those three people. Mm-hmm. I mean. This is a follow-up to uh, question number one. What is your favorite dish at Joe Allen or Barso? Lasagna salad. I've, you answered that, too. <laughs> He's never had anything I can't but the any salad. I can't remember, but I know I, it's not the only thing I've had, but that's that's it. And I'm I've tried to recreate it. No. No mm-hmm. impossible. There's no, no. Oh, it's that kitchen Somebody. magic. Who knows what they're doing? It is. It is. It is. I don't really temperature and texture. It's still on the menu, right? Yes, it is. It's, it's I haven't been there for about three years. Is it is okay. it back on? Yes. It is, yeah. No, they they take it off because, you know, the chef and the owner they're just like, eh, maybe it's a little bit boring. Court has sort of stayed, but you take it off. Look, and look at his face. Even the thought of it. You protest. Give us that face. We'll take a picture. <laughs> let's see the Scala salad face. Oh yeah, see. All right, let's see. Right, there's the picture. That's nice. We'll put oh, that up for the episode. Uh, Perfect. Okay, good. So uh, what's your favorite curse word? Horseshit. Ah. My dad used it a lot. It, it, yeah, horseshit. I swear a little too much, and I hope I didn't too much on the show, but uh, this, this episode, but horseshit. It's a, it's a classic, and it covers a whole mm-hmm. litany of things. So, And there are a lot of people that are around us lately the past several oh, yeah. few years mm-hmm. that are full of mm-hmm. horse shit. Yes. Okay? We didn't go there today, <laughs> yes. but I had, had to say something. 
If you could invite anyone to join you for a perfect New York evening of Broadway and dinner at Joe Allen or Bar Centrale, who would you invite? I'm gonna cry. I lost my best friend at the beginning of the pandemic, Mark Blum. Do you know who Mark Blum was? Yes. Mark. Mark Blum was my closest friend. I did. I met him on a show. Well, I met him in L.A. years ago, but with other people, but. We did a play called Ms. Lansky, Zelinsky, or Schmucks, written by Robbie uh, Bates. And that was, the, that was the dressing room. That was the best dressing room. Nathan Lane, Louis Stadlin, Mark Blom, Larry Pine. And uh, Mark and I became really close. And I can say with pretty much assurance, we spoke every day, five times a week, not every day, for 20 years. And I didn't have more. Me- I had more meals with him, only second to my wife. And we've had a lot of meals at two places. That's where I, who I had a lot of meals with, Joe Allen, and also the Edison Coffee Shop, mm-hmm. uh, which I miss. And um, Mark, that's who I'd like to have another meal with. Sadly, wow. I, I was starstruck when I saw him at the restaurant because I had just known him from things growing up and. That bit in succession, that bit in succession where he's handing over that nightmare job. I saw the show during the pandemic, so he had already passed away. And I was like... Mark was like one of the first people to go in uh, New York. Yeah, it was... He was great. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Devastating. Was that seven? No, there's one more. Okay. Which is pick one word to describe how you feel about Joe Allen, the establishments. Or Barson Trolley, any what you how you feel about the establishments? Affection. That's great. That's a good one. I do. Uh, that's not bullshit. That's that's not horseshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think I've ever eaten at any other restaurant on Forty Sixth Street. Uh, it just it when I know I'm going there, I have a warm feeling that I'm going to be welcomed. That I'm. Uh, not not like hello Lee. No, not that way. Just I just feel embraced by the place. It feels it feels very comfortable and welcoming. And uh both spots. Joe Allen and upstairs when Mary's there, it's just I be I have great affection and for the people there. And I appreciate uh, being uh, I feel honored to to have been asked to do this. Oh, it's our pleasure. Well, thank you so much for, yeah, for spending this time with us. We really appreciate it. This is really, I'll speak for all of us and say this really good time. Thank you. Jimmy Ray's never asked me to do a podcast. No. <laughs> Their podcast got canceled. <laughs> and it only has three stars. <laughs> well, we always like to end our shows with our a little toast. So let's raise a glass to good friends great nights at the theater, and cocktails at table seven. Cheers. 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 (laughs) Thank you so much, Sam. We really appreciate it. Cocktails at Table 7 is produced by Jason Woodruff, Dana Mirlock, and Sean Kent, with theme music by James Rubio, and logo design and artwork by Christina D'Angelo. Special thanks to the owners of Joe Allen, Orso, and Bar Centrale Restaurants.